got them engaged right at the beginning. I, I proved out that when people do self-care, like when they engage in self-care, there is no harm that comes from self-care. And I will scream that from the rooftops. And so when we had the epiphany that technology could help us, we, we basically took what we were doing and we digitalized it. Every single thing within my Viva plan is based on what the patients and clients have been telling us for years, right? Yep. So it's it not only is it evidence-based, but it's to solve a problem that people have come to us to solve and repeatedly right. come right. to us. So really at the heart of, of both companies is the patient, the client, yep. right? Yep. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons. We are the largest law firm in the world with offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries available to support you everywhere you do business. We're a law firm that embraces change and can help you grow, protect, operate, and finance your organization, which is why Dentons is organized to offer more than just legal insight. We're here to help you find business solutions in a seamless fashion across the globe. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Laureen Wales, founder and CEO of MyViva Inc. Welcome Laureen. Well, thank you, Heather. It's nice to be here with you today. I'm looking forward to our discussion. To get us started, can you give our listeners a little bit of background about you, Loreen the person? Loreen the person. Well, um, I am, I started my career off 26 years ago as a healthcare professional. I took I went to university to become a dietitian, and then decided um, to do a psychology degree as well. So I did a minor in sociology, a major in psychology. And that was my intent at the very beginning of my career, because I wanted to specialize in working with people who were living with an eating disorder, uh, but then um, catapulted into kidney disease, go figure, uh, didn't even... <laughs> <laughs> go work with but I mean throughout my career I've worked quite a bit with people living with an eating disorder so so I um born I was born in Edmonton uh spent two years there first two years of my life my parents moved to Grand Prairie and I grew up in a very small town called Wembley oh, which yeah. I would have to say is on the map now because we have a dinosaur museum in Wembley that's all so, you need to get on the map in Alberta. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, uh, and then moved back to Edmonton to go to university and um, have been there ever since. Excellent. Excellent. And you, so you had an interest in eating disorders or you wanted to work with people who had eating disorders and then you sort of branched out into other things. Tell us a little bit about the evolution of the company, My Viva, and did it also have an interest in eating disorders and shift or, or did it only have an interest in what it's currently doing? 
Uh, no, I would say that, so my Viva is the digital health company that I built. The bricks and mortar clinic that I first started was Revive Wellness. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about, so the evolution came yep. to my Viva plan being the digital now, who has bought the bricks and mortar, which we could now call our living lab. Um, but the the process, I spent the first 10 years of my career in, in public sector uh, and just saw that there was a real need for um, prevention. Yeah. I worked with people who live with chronic health conditions and, and what, 40% of the patient population I was working with there had uh, diabetes um, that caused kidney disease. And 95% of that, that group had type two diabetes, which we can do something about. Another 30% of the population had high blood pressure. Again, something we can do something about. And yep. so I just, I mean, the quality of life for people living on dialysis is in the toilet, yes. literally. It's terrible. And I, we get one shot at this life, <laughs> literally one shot. I wish it was more, but we get one shot. And I just, as a healthcare provider, have always felt that I need to ensure that I am giving people all of the tools um, that are possible to give them in order to empower them to get engaged and take control of their health and, and prevent people from going where I grew up for 10 years in, in nephrology. So I jumped into um, a private practice, started Revive Wellness, uh, then dove into uh, uh, primary care for seven years because, I mean, I, I worked tertiary care for 10 years. I wasn't going to be arrogant and think that I knew everything right. about primary care without um, diving into it. So I did that for seven years at the same time of building the bricks and mortar clinic. And at that time in 2006, it's so funny because we were the only group. I had a vision. I mean, I'm one healthcare professional. What do I, like, I know this much, right? right. I've, uh, and the more I learned, the less that, that, that slice just becomes less and less. Um, but I, I always worked in a big team. And so my brain was, I want a team. So it was the first, my Revive Wellness was the first group, private practice team of dietitians in North America, go figure in wow. 2006. Wow. I know bizarre. Wow. Right. Um, and so we, then we did primary, I did a big contract with primary care for seven years. Uh, it was at the end of doing that contract, once it got so big that they took it in house. And we always knew that that, that would happen. Um, that I had, I sat back one day, uh, Callie and I were sitting in the office and we had this conversation to say, okay, so let's reflect on what it is that I understand now. Uh, and I had this epiphany that, uh, well, every patient that I see in clinic, all I have to give them uh, to manage their health at home is my verbal recommendations, some general resources, or some general websites that I can send them to. I can take two to three hours to build them a comprehensive nutrition plan, but they keep coming back and telling me, oh, can you tweak it? Or, oh, that's not quite right. Can you adjust this? So it's never, it's never perfect for them, right? They always want it to change. And it dawned on me that, you know what? Um, technology can help us solve this problem. And yeah. it was funny because Callie comes in, we had this big conversation. She comes in the next day. And I don't know if you know, Seth um, uh, Godlin, Godlin, Golan. Um, he is this big guy on um, 
um, marketing and sales. And he said, oh, yeah. every company has to find their purple cow. And she's yep. like, I think we found our purple cow. And I was like, what are you talking about? Cause we spitballed a pile of ideas. She goes, no, no technology. And then we went back to it and was like, Oh, okay. And so that's what, um, that's when my Viva plan was born. And that was back in 2013. So we went down the path of, of building it and I bootstrapped it for four years um, through Revive Wellness. And the first like 2013, 2014, the, I, I, I'm proud of what we did, but the first few versions you like, they were crap. Um, they were crap, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to build test and, and yep. realize, right. Um, yep. And they were, they were garbage. And then we we got dead serious in 2016 and brought on a civil engineer and computer programmers who were um, had that engineering background and they helped us build our um, desktop version in 2016. And, uh, and then we, we brought on, um, we, we actually did the mobile responsive version 2017 and commercialized in 2018. And then, um, my Viva after uh, the, and I brought on investors um, from 2017, 10 people who um, uh, are with me today, but they ended up buying, the investors decided to buy Revive Wellness because they see the power of having that living lab to, um, in order to build a really powerful digital health program. And so we did that in 2020. So a bit of a long story, but that's our journey. I like I like the long story and uh, there's there's so much there to unpack of course and your journey yeah. is unique but your journey is also has lots of overlaps with what I hear many commonalities of what I hear from other entrepreneurs um in in particular when you said you know the first version or two was was crap well like you know r r you didn't think that at the time because of course you would never intentionally you know make something that you think is crap but looking back in mm -hmm. hindsight you think it, it's crap and one of the things that I often hear from my technology technology entrepreneurs is if you put a version out, like the first version that you put out, if in hindsight, you're actually not embarrassed by it, you you probably haven't, you know, you, you probably haven't evolved to this the stage that is actually useful for for people. So it's funny that you, you know, you commented that, well, it was crap, because that is a, a comment that I often hear that uh, you, you and there's this balance, right? There's this balance between you need to have something out there in the world for people to get to give feedback and for them to test it. For you for, to allow you to improve it so you have to start somewhere and I think a lot of people get into that trap of being paralyzed by it's not perfect therefore I'm not going to put it out into the world and and then they keep tinkering with it but if you don't have actual users using it you're never going to get feedback that's beyond one person which is is what you need in order to really move it forward exactly yeah um I want to talk a little bit. I want to pick up on the Revive Wellness being the living lab and MyViva being the the technology engine, I guess, that sort of is driving that, that. What do you mean by a living lab? Like, what do people, how do people interact differently in the digital world versus in the in the living lab? If I were to come to the living lab, what would I see? Well, so it's your, it's, um, one-on-one uh, -on -one care with a healthcare professional is, is what yep. the, we do at Revive Wellness. So we have the mental health, we have the nutrition, and we have the, the fitness, the kinesiologist. And so you come and you work with a healthcare professional, but that's primarily the focus. The why um, it's the living lab is because 
as a healthcare professional, hearing loud and clear from patients throughout my career, uh, how we are not helping support them in managing their health at home. Uh, That, I mean, back in, I think I was in my, my position at the U of A two weeks and I was asked to uh, I'll take you down a rabbit hole and you'll understand why in a moment. Um, I was asked to introduce myself, tell them I was a dietitian, and ask um, what it is that I could uh, help them with. And a gentleman in the audience who I'd never met before in my life yelled out yeah. that he effing hated me. He Super. didn't not just welcome. like me. Yeah, welcome right? to the stage. This is how we're right? going to welcome you. Yeah. yeah. Great. And then two other people in the audience said the same thing. So that's right. Right. So I left almost in tears. The staff were kind of laughing, going, well, that was the most entertainment we've ever had. And I thought I I was devastated. Fast forward month two, um, same thing happened with, again, a completely different group of people. And I actually went to the staff afterward and said, is this a sick joke? Like, did you did you (laughs) go and tell them to do this? Because how can this happen twice? Right. Um, Fast forward to third month. And again, same thing happened. And so I decided to take it upon myself and uh, uh, phone and have a conversation with all these patients. And here is the story that I heard. And it was consistent across the board. And it's consistent today, which is um, how we differ at Revive and MyVivo or the why we've done what we've done. So these patients um, all said to me that they were they would go to see people in the heart health area get told one thing in the diabetes area get told something different come and see us idiots in the kidney disease area and we'd say something different they'd go home completely confused with who to listen to because they got all this conflicting information not a single healthcare professional was bringing it all together for them to give them one unified plan or story and so they just kind of threw their arms up in the air and go went well whatever i don't know they'd come back to see the healthcare professionals and get labeled non-compliant because they didn't listen to what the healthcare professionals told them to do and then they said they felt that the healthcare professionals were dismissive of care Imagine Heather um, living with that for yep. 15 to 20 years because that's who these people were that were telling me they effing hated me. Huh. And I thought to myself, well, okay, I get it. I can see why you would actually tell us you effing hate us. Um, yep. Rightfully so, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when you come to revive, so one thing that, so that education, I didn't learn any of that. Seven years of university education didn't teach me any of that. Listening to the patient, making sure that I heard what the patient, what their frustrations were, where they were at in their journey, met them where they were, and ensured that I, you know, helped support them in any way that I could from where they're at. Who cares what my objectives are who cares it doesn't matter my objective right it's irrelevant right I can be the most I can you you can say Lorene you're the best dietitian on this planet and my response is so what who cares because if the patient if I don't engage the patient help empower the patient support the patient with what they need they're not going to engage in their health and therefore I'm not going to be effective in helping them improve their health outcomes yeah so 
I got patients engaged and that's where the psychology background came in. I got them engaged right at the beginning. I, I proved out that when people do self-care, like when they engage in self-care, there is no harm that comes from self-care. And I will scream that from the rooftops. Even if people engage 1%, they can see improved outcomes. Right. And so our approach at Revive was very much that patient-centric approach. We help you, we build you up, we support you, we help empower you, um, give you the tools to manage your health. But we were doing that all manually, right? Spending yeah. all this time to build these plans. And so when we had the epiphany that technology could help us, we, we basically took what we were doing and we digitalized it. Hmm. Yep. We, I've built algorithms my whole career for patient care. That's like, well, that's easy to actually digitalize, right? Right. And so right. it gets rid of all of the mundane work that we, the healthcare professionals have to do and gives me back the time where I can sit with you, Heather, and say, okay, so tell me, tell me what your struggle, what you're struggling with and what some of the successes that you've been having. And out of that comes, well, look, Marine, I'm, I've, I've learned this or, you know, I'm struggling with getting enough sleep, but I realized that it's month end and, you know, I'm accountant and I'm stressed or, you know, right. I'm a lawyer and um, I, I have a big case coming up and I'm not sleeping. And when I'm not sleeping, I don't feel like I have energy to exercise. And then I don't feel like um, making meals. So I go through the drive through and, and, and I'm eating out more and then my energy level is low and I'm in, I have indigestion and can't sleep. Right. So it's, yeah, yeah. it becomes a cycle. snowball. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and so we, the healthcare professionals are able to help, um, coach as opposed to do mundane tasks and right. that's what the technology helps us do so that's fascinating and i i love i love the you know the incremental like when you say there's no no bad nothing bad can come from self-care and even if you it move the needle you know incrementally by like one percent you you feel marginally better I feel like I uh, there's this parallel in what I do in, with working with entrepreneurs because sometimes entrepreneurs will come to you and they'll be like, here is the laundry list of all the things that are wrong with my business. Like my business partner is terrible and you know my employees are stealing from me and my competitor ripped off my IP and you know like all these things. And it 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 is all it is that snowball effect. Like one thing gets out of yeah. control or this policy is out of place or whatever, and it and it turns into this snowball of complete overwhelm and you don't even know where where to start and I often find myself saying to them well what's one step we can take today like what would incrementally move us forward okay well we could get an employment agreement uh, we have the ability then to fire somebody who I don't know does something terrible to you or we could put up a policy in place to manage employees expectations around you know whatever it is and then they'll say yeah, yeah, sure, we can, we can do that. But then there's all this other stuff. And it's like, yep, there is. But let's let's take some steps. Let's take control of the things that we can. And then hopefully we can narrow down, not always, but you know, sometimes we can narrow down the laundry list of terrible um, to be able to focus and and you know, and then and then and then it'll change, right? Like new priorities will yeah. come along, new stresses will come along. Um, but I think that it's really your point about how it's really empowering for the patient to be able to have some autonomy over the decisions they're making, the priorities and, and the consequences. So 
I stay up too late and I'm stressed and I can't get up early and exercise and then I don't feel like making meals. Well, what's one thing I can do to try to break that cycle? And can I meal plan for the whole week in advance, for example, or can I set up time, you know, my exercise times with my trainer or whatever to make sure that that I can try to meet those milestones. And I think that's a really intuitive way that entrepreneurs also approach their lives in terms of how, because everything is overwhelming all the time. And if it's just this constant oh, yeah. sea of overwhelm, how do you, how do you even know which way is up, right? Well, and a hundred percent. And I think that the, the reason why the living lab is so critical is because every single thing within my Viva plan is based on what the, patients and clients have been telling us for years, right? Yeah. So it's it not only is it evidence-based, but it's to solve a problem that people have come to us to solve and repeatedly right. come right. to us, right? right? And so we we have so really at the heart of of both companies is the patient, the client, yeah. right? Yeah. How yeah. do we help improve? So if we build out a system of processes for care that is effective and then we repeat it and repeat it again and repeat it again and get positive outcomes, then that's when we're taking it and putting it into the digital platform. But then I assume that the reverse is also true. So if you if you make an assumption, you say, okay, this is going to work and you test it and it doesn't, then that doesn't get incorporated into, exactly. into the tool. Yeah. yeah. So you have the yeah. feedback, um, you know, positive and negative that helps shape the outcomes for um for the patients or who are the ones at the end of the day not the designers of the software but for the users of the software exactly and the users are the patients and the the healthcare professionals and then you've got you know so we have a really diverse team um but but yeah and it's what's unique about it is that healthcare professionals and patients are involved regularly to build the platform right so it's so, we have to make sure that it's it's clinically it 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 works before yeah. we even attempt to do you know something in figma to say okay design us something to do this then we go back and we test it before we ever send it to the developers to say build it oh interesting interesting i want to pick up on that a little bit i i um i'm curious so you're in the healthcare space and you've been a health you know provider health professional your your whole career and patients, so consumers, but also other healthcare providers. So whether those are other dietitians or kinesiologists, physiotherapists, whatever, you know, whatever is kind of in the the sphere of what the the patient needs, more and more and more are interested in incorporating and demanding that we incorporate technology. We can't get away from technology. So there's more and more opportunity to incorporate or there's more interest to incorporate technology in everything you we do. <clears throat> and you made the comment about how um by using a tool like this, you can eliminate or maybe substantially reduce the amount of mundane um, bureaucracy because it 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 enhances your ability to be efficient and to do your job in a very efficient manner. And that's a, a great benefit of, of technology. And I think the pandemic has accelerated the rate of adoption of technology in, in many ways, which is which has some pros and cons. So there's a lot of opportunity and, and you might have hit the the jackpot in terms of timing of when society is ready for a, a technology tool to do, you know, and your your vision about how to make this more efficient. And, and that's great. What are some of the challenges that what's the other side of that coin? So there's all these opportunities with technology, but has it created I'm sure the answer is yes, but has it created any challenges from how you interact? So 
has the rate of somebody telling you they f and hate you increased or decreased with the with the adoption of the technology? <laughs> well, um, the so prior to the pandemic, uh, I, there so the there's there are some good things that come out of disasters. I mean, yes. that's just let's face it. There, it's not all bad. There's some there's some growth. There's learnings and stuff that can happen, and if if we choose to to let it happen, and one of the I think the. Uh, really positive things that came out of the pandemic that you touched on is that healthcare professionals um, realized that technology can help enable them to do their yeah. job better yeah. and, and yeah. drive more efficiency, things like that. And so, but if we go back to 20, um, just before at the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic happened, I would say that um, the slowest moving sector on the planet is healthcare. <laughs> of course it is. Sorry. I mean, yeah. and I'm going to, I don't, I don't tend to be judgmental about a lot of things, but when it comes to um, the sector that I've lived and breathed in for 26 years, it is, we are pathetically slow. We drive research, we commit to doing research and stuff, and then we're not even um, adopting all of the research that, that's done and, and being progressive. And we're spending way too much money. Um, you know, our, our healthcare system costs a stinking fortune and, and we're not even evaluating how effective we are at, at that spend. So I think yeah. people need to go and look at the data points because right. we're not evaluating, we're not, shoot, we're not even delivering um, standard of care of what's uh, published in standards right. of care. Like, and, and that's, that's shameful um, in 2023 because that's taxpayer dollars that we're spending. If there should be any evaluations that are happening, it should be in this space and we should be very frugal and very um, uh, intentional and thoughtful on how we spend it, which means we need data points and we need to be evaluating it and, and we're not. So anyway, there's my spiel on my soapbox about that. Um, but they, I think that, um, um, going back to what it was that you were saying about the challenges, it, it's so slow, like the, the being able to integrate anything. And so the, now since the pandemic, healthcare professionals are going, oh, okay. Um, I might consider that, but they're still, you know, really slow at engaging. And so getting, I mean, we had somebody say to us, an organization, Go prove yourself elsewhere um, and uh, and then come back if you've had success in other countries and we may engage. And then another organization that was like, come back and see us in four years if you've made it. Uh, and yeah. we're at that mark now. And so it so it's it's ridiculous how slow it is. Like we're, yeah. we're we are not progressive at all. You know, um, to, to your little soapbox moment, and I, I won't take us down too far of a rabbit hole, but I have a, a client that um, similar, they were a healthcare provider as well, and in a different way than than you were. And they had a very early um, technology that would essentially be obsolete now, but 15 years ago, you know, it was very progressive and it, uh, it, it made a big difference in how they could provide services to very underserved populations. And much like you're saying sort of the, the, um, 
the way that, that they were able to get successful is they had to go to other countries where those countries were willing to adopt the, or, or they were faster at adopting. Then we still had to do pilot projects and we still had to, you know, move slowly. But in comparison, um, we had they, they were just able to get their head around the fact that this is innovative. It might not work, but if it does work, the outcome, the health outcome will be so monumentally better than the status quo of let's do nothing for the next 15 years while we figure out who's going to pay you know for this intervention and the 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 metrics that you're talking about from a healthcare and this is a, a of course a complete generalization but the metrics that you're talking about are not simply how many taxpayer dollars uh do we spend annually on you know our our healthcare program but what is the quality of life for the person who is affected yes by an improvement or a reduction or like whatever you know whatever is appropriate in the in the health sphere but the metrics those countries that that get it are very sophisticated i think much more sophisticated than we are at actually measuring a quality or a, a, a health care outcome that is something other than well how much money did you spend to buy me my prescription or you know to to put me on um a medication or or whatever but but what are some of the other metrics and i i feel like we're stuck in in a in a world where we're measuring the wrong things mm -hmm. uh yes uh we i i would 100% agree with that uh, we don't, yeah, we're not looking at, um, at what really, I mean, cause what is health really? Right. I mean, if I, if I asked you to define like that, what, what is that for each of us? I mean, I think it comes down to, well, do like what, what quality of life are each of us living on a day-to-day -day basis? Right. And there's course, a whole lot like I want to have mental health and physical health that, that come into play, not, not, you know, um, Oh, I got prescribed a medication, um, check a box. And uh, I mean, never mind, was it effective? Like, right. are we right. even evaluating whether it was effective? Did you even take it? Did you take it right? Like, I mean, a lot of those things, I mean, yes, they, they happen, but on a large scale, I can, I can tell you, because I've, I've done research, we, we did research on this and presented at an international conference that we weren't even, we were not even screening for heaven's sakes. For, yeah. for high yeah. cholesterol stuff in, in the, one of the programs that I worked in. So, I mean, if we're not even looking for it, how do we even get, like, we have nothing to evaluate, right? And yeah. that's where I say shame on us, like shame on us as, as healthcare providers and, and the system and, and because that's public sector money. And I, at the end of the day, I mean, the reality <laughs> is this is, this is publicly public dollars that we have to use in a way to improve outcomes, to reduce the burden um, and the cost of our system. I mean, what what percent of GDP is our healthcare budget? It's yeah, over 40%, I, isn't it? it? Yeah, it's big. I think yep. it's over 40%. How is that sustainable? Right, exactly, exactly. Right? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. we could go on and on and on about talking that. I mean, I know you wanted to talk about a business, but building a business in this space is far from easy, of far from easy. Of course. You, you need to absolutely, uh, uh, some days I think I, I've often joked and said, uh, did I, maybe, is are, am I sure my cheese is fully on my cracker or did it half fall <laughs> off? <laughs> I guess, I guess if we're going to measure those things, what you need to measure is, are there more days where the cheese is on the cracker or, or not? <laughs> yeah. 
or it's like tipping on the edge. Yeah. Tell me a little bit. So this is this is a, a bit of a business related question, but um, specific to the technology. So when you are building technology, um, one of the common things that I hear from other entrepreneurs is that it can really be, and I think you've described this in, in everything that you've articulated so far, is it can be really difficult to get your hands around managing a technology project because of scope creep and sometimes the developers will say oh like you've done this and it would be really interesting to get data about these things and and it is it's super interesting to get data because that's how we can better inform you know future iterations and is this feature you know applicable right now how have you managed and have, maybe maybe the answer is your living lab but how have you managed what could be a disastrous you know scope creep project problem in a healthcare space um to something that you've really been able to you know in a disciplined fashion move along well um i would say that i'm, I'm laughing because i get the sprawl um and and it's called we always call it um you know shiny object syndrome or, yeah, or stop sure. chasing yeah. squirrels right yeah um but the so i would say that my my training as a healthcare provider, uh, I built algorithms for patient care when I was at the U of A, but like the whole time I was there, you yeah. know, if then yeah. logic rules on, yeah. okay, if somebody's hemoglobin is this, um, and their ferritin is this, then right. And so it yeah. is just the, and, and so because I, um, did a lot of that, there it it there was this process um and maybe because i'm married to an engineer i don't know um <laughs> but my brain just when it came to patient care i knew i had to break it down for them like it couldn't yep. be this airy yep. fairy um pie in the sky idea and so how i started doing it at the beginning of my career was to say go in and i'd have a conversation with with a patient and i'd say okay, tell me, tell me, how are you feeling? Like, tell me your symptoms, physical and mental, and they'd list them off. And then I'd review their um, 35 uh, different parameters for blood work that we did on a monthly basis for dialysis patients. And then what I did is I actually took the blood work and their symptoms and I, I tied it back okay. to them. From a nutrition perspective, that I, and and it was helping them understand. Okay, so this symptom could be because of this and this and this, right? And and then at the end of it, I would say to them, um, "Are like, is there? Are you interested in being your own experiment? Because it doesn't matter what all the research says. You're an N of one, like, and so." it might like things may or may not work for you. So are you interested in doing an experiment? Is there any of these symptoms that you want to improve? And I never had a patient say no to me. Um, oh, and they, they pick something and I'd say, okay, so if that's the experiment that you want to, or if that's a symptom you want to improve, here are a couple ways that we could do it. Either of those interest you? Yeah. Um, and they pick one and I'm like, okay, so you do that next month, I'll come back and we'll evaluate it. We'll look at the symptoms again. Um, and we'll look at the blood work. And so I built a process for them. I built yeah. a journey. I helped them visualize what that journey looked like. So when we were building the tech, it was the same. Well, and, and what was interesting in that process, just before I go on is that, um, I, we improve clinical outcomes by doing it yeah. that way. Amazing. And so the process matters, right? And the structure. And so 
So, so mapping it out though, um, was far from easy. I mean, it, it was like, gosh, um, 15, 17 years in the making of doing constant, seeing like thousands of patients over the years and just yeah. looking at the patterns and, and then going, okay, well, what is the typical journey that an individual takes? And then, and then building that out from a tech perspective. And trust me, I think, um, when we were redoing our, our signup process of my Viva plan in 2020, I, Ryan, our graphic designer and one of the other dietitians, um, they work with the three of us. I think we, um, hold the record in the company for the longest um, virtual call because I think we were on for over 16 hours wow and it was and I think we all just took maybe 20 minute breaks like a couple of times throughout the day because we were so entrenched in this like all this like step-by-step -step process that you have to do and and you really like it hurts your brain and so yeah. you've got to you've got to be able to do the deep dives and that's why we have the clinical team and that's why we have the graphic designers and the engineers right there's the diversity in thought um, yeah. and discipline is critical when you're doing this because you can kind of map it out and say okay here's the here's the vision but then you just have to keep peeling the layer after layer after layer off in order yeah. to figure out how to actually get there and test and test, right? To figure out if it works or not. And I think you also have to be willing to accept that you're not necessarily going to get it all right on the first, you, you know, you on won't. the first shot. Yeah. No, yeah. you yeah. you won't. And that's that's what hurts your brain even more um, is that uh, you, you get it done and you build it and then you got to go and you test it and then you test it and, and you're using it for a while and, and then you're like ah oh, no we have to go back to the drawing board all over again and right yeah. because yeah. you start to see because you have to wait to sometimes it's not just about oh I like it that works it's more about okay well what are the outcomes of it like you've used it now multiple times for a few weeks few months um are we seeing the results that we want to see with it? Yeah. And that's yeah. so it's so the funny thing is um, people who think and, and trust me, there are people out there who think that you can build a technology program and have overnight success with it. Um, run as far away from those kind of people and those companies <laughs> as possible, because that's not reality. Like not I have reality. people saying, congratulations, you're a, um, you're so lucky. And it's like, uh, okay. And, and I smile and go, thank you. And in my head, I'm going, really? You, wow. You think luck had, I mean, I maybe, but I'm a 10 year, congratulations on being a 10 year overnight success. Yeah. Cause it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't. And if it does happen overnight, it's not sustainable. Like it won't, nope. it won't stand withstand the test of time. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. In interesting. Um, I think the the best thing that I've heard you say today is that healthcare is the slowest moving sector because I love that that's now on the record for anybody who thinks that lawyers take too long to you know ever get back to them. So I'm so happy that you uh, that you cleared up their record on that uh, today. Um, what's next for my Viva? What what has it been up to recently? Uh, where's it going? What, what does its future look like other than maybe 16 hour virtual meetings to go back to the drawing board? <laughs> well, um, I started uh, this company to, uh, and, uh, 
I, I, I'm a very literal person, so when I use words, um, they they come from a very deep embedded um, drive that I I don't I, I don't even in my own mind fully understand where my drive comes from, but I genuinely am on a mission to transform how we deliver care um, to it. patients around the world, not just within Canada. Uh, I I want somewhere along the way we lost the ability to believe that we have what it takes to take control of our, our health. Yep. You're right. And we saw it loud and clear. We had a Petri dish experiment with the pandemic. We did. Uh, and you saw, and you continue to see anxiety rates go up, depression levels um, uh, continue to elevate. I do not believe that everybody needs to be on an antidepressant, anti-anxiety. What we need to give back to people is a system that they can build their self-confidence to become more resilient and believe in themselves that they do have what it takes to control their health. And we've proven it with every patient that we work with, every company that we work with. And so that is my vision to give that back. Um, Great vision. So so um, we, I'm super excited about a partnership that we just signed this um, this year with um, LMC Healthcare. They're the largest group of endocrinologists in North America. Um, they their clinical team has integrated some uh, all of their modules for diabetes management, and together um, with that merger of that their content in our program, we've created the Canadian Digital Diabetes Prevention and Management Program that is based on Canadian practice guidelines. And so we have now today the ability to take specialty care for diabetes management to the doorstep of every Canadian, no matter where they live. That's amazing. Congratulations. When in the history have we been able to ever say that before, right? And I we can, ever. right? And we can do that with every chronic disease state. And that's what's so cool. Um, I'm running, I am the only female healthcare professional uh, that is running a tech, an international tech R&D project. So I was selected by the federal government last year to represent Canada at a smart health meeting, which is part of the Eureka Consortium and IKEA oh, yeah. projects, if you've ever yep. heard of them. Yep. And I am leading, so our um, long story short, um, I went there having no clue what I was jumping into, coming back with an idea to do a project to then having one of the most popular topics um, that I, I had to basically decline partners. So I have seven countries, including Canada, 28 partners, um, and our project got labeled. Uh, and so now just waiting for all of the federal funding agencies to come through with funding. But it is, um, I mean, and I'm a healthcare provider, yeah. uh, right? Yeah. Leading this yeah. tech international project. So what that's doing is opening up the door to plant the seeds in other markets around the world to, to test the hypothesis on whether or not our tech, there's a play for us there in those sectors. Um, we've uh, rolled out our U.S. strategy earlier this year and having great, great. traction already. And uh, so, so yeah, so I'm, I'm on, it, it's a pretty, I said to my husband this weekend, I tell this story I just did the other day to somebody that was interviewing me. And I said, I can't even believe it's my life. Like <laughs> I was a healthcare professional. Yep. Like I didn't, I had no 
I, I genuinely, I sit there and go, I have 10 investors. I've raised over $14 million in investment. I've raised over 5 million in for research fund. And when I say that stuff, it's like, this is my world. Really? Like it's yeah. my vision is coming true and, and it's beyond exciting, but it seems completely surreal sometimes. Well, as far as problems go, managing the, you know, surreality, I don't even know if that's a word, but managing how surreal that is, uh, is a pretty good problem to try to manage, right? <laughs> well, it just, I, I mean, it, it's, um, yeah, like I said, there's, it's, Yes, I, I've built this business, and yes, I have uh, I have um, uh, responsibility to my investors and and to patients and stuff. But this is beyond money. Like it's a bigger, of course, it's a bigger, hairy, audacious goal, right? It's yeah. it's about improving right. outcomes, and it, it's a it's really about that. So those um about health equity and um and ensuring that that we support people um however we can wherever they are at this stage in their journey and wherever they live to manage their health. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you uh, shared your vision with us and that we got to hear a little bit uh, about you and about your journey. Where can our listeners find out more about MyViva? Discover.myvivaplan.com and also, you know, um, connect with me on LinkedIn and, and my team on LinkedIn. I know that we also are on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, don't hesitate um, to reach out uh, if if this vision sounds like it's something that you want to, uh, you have expertise in the field and, and want to get involved with. Um, we're always happy to uh, uh, to collaboratively work with others because while we've built, um, we, we've built one piece of the puzzle in order to achieve that transformation at the level that I want to, it's going to require multiple other players and partners in order to make it happen. And, uh, and so, and we play well in, in the sandbox with others. <laughs> That's amazing. <clears throat> Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. You are welcome, Heather. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.